0: Welcome to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. In this HCI podcast episode, I talk with Dr. Eric Russell, HCI Research Associate, as we continue our weekly Servant Leadership Series discussions. This week, we discuss developing people and Dr. Jim Lobb's work on the topic. Dr. Lobb is best known for building the Organizational Leadership Assessment Instrument that measures servant leadership within organizations as well as job satisfaction of followers. As part of his work, he identified three areas that we need to focus on. We need to, number one, provide opportunities for learning and growth. Number two, model appropriate behavior. And number three, build up others through encouragement and affirmation. Dr. Eric Russell, welcome back to the Human Capital Innovations Podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. Uh, it's wonderful to have the opportunity to continue our weekly servant leadership series where we discuss different aspects, principles, facets of servant leadership. And uh, I'm really excited to have the opportunity to talk with you today about developing people as it pertains to servant leadership. Uh, for listeners, who may have not uh, had the chance to to listen to the previous episodes in the series. Uh, Each week we're taking a different aspect of servant leadership and exploring it. And Dr. Eric Russell uh, has been joining me for each of these discussions. Eric is an HCI research associate and he's an associate professor of emergency services at Utah Valley University. Uh, Eric, would you like to start us off with a a brief um, description of this this uh, attribute, this concept of developing people as it pertains to
1: servant leadership? I will. So there was a big movement um, in the 90s to take uh, Greenleaf's writings and take them beyond the theoretical concept and more along the lines of uh, research and actually going out there and and testing it within organizations and developing uh, measurement tools and ways that we can assess organizations and individual leadership. And one of the one of the more famous ones was developed by Dr. Jim Lobb, and it's known as the Organ- Organizational Leadership Assessment Tool. Um, it has been used, I don't know, by many corporations and organizations to do uh, servant leadership measurement, as well as um, a ton of dissertations throughout um, the universities to to actually do research within um, nursing law enforcement fire and rescue uh, marketing higher education K through 12 education and it just it measures um, the level of servant leadership within an organization it breaks it down into different components uh, and it's been added uh, to probably I would say in the last I'm gonna butcher this maybe the last Five or six years, but they added the job satisfaction questionnaire to the OLA. So not only are you measuring um, uh, servant leadership within an organization, but you're also measuring the uh, job satisfaction of followers. And that is a that's a great telltale sign of a servant leadership organization is is there's a lot of there's high job satisfaction, and there've been a lot of correlative studies between those two that have been that have been done. Recently there was one done in the fire service um, that was published about a year and a half ago two years ago so yeah it it's it's pretty cool because it, it's it's a good it's a good thermometer for for agencies and organizations on where they are, it, especially ones that claim to be servant leadership organizations and it's like uh you're not, but we can get you there yeah yeah, and you
0: mentioned briefly. All of these studies that look at um, the connection between servant leadership and job satisfaction Um, and I don't know actually if there are similar studies that look at servant leadership's connection to employee engagement, um, uh, productivity outcomes, those sorts of things, Um, but certainly those are connected with job satisfaction and job satisfaction is clearly connected with a servant leadership organization. Um, and so perhaps job satisfaction is a mediating factor
1: or or something like that. do you know anything about uh, any of those possible studies? We do We have stuff uh as far as employee engagement um sales improvement let's see what else retention creativity innovation there's been all sorts of studies done on on all of those areas and like we all there hasn't been one yet that found that servant leadership doesn't improve all of that stuff so yeah they're definitely there there's need for more studies every single one of the the studies that I'm familiar with have said listen we need more future research is needed we need to expand this stuff out there also needs to be more quality that needs to be that more qualitative to get that experience that voice of the individuals Um, so there is definitely not just work that exists but also more work to be done it never sure
0: sure and I th- I think about uh, uh, this is a bit of a tangent, but I I think about, for example, the job satisfaction literature that's been around for sixty seven years, uh, mm-hmm. that's been developed, and literally thousands and thousands of studies have been done, in just about every arena that you can possibly can cons- conceive of, right? So it's there's there's so much research, and um, the the job engagement, the employee engagement uh, stuff has really only emerged over the last couple of decades, really full force the last decade or so. Um, so even though that's caught on, there's just not as much of it yet. And and certainly not as much that would be directly connected to servant leadership. So I think there's definitely, um, a lot of opportunity, uh, for people to do meaningful research in this area, but also not just, uh, not just academic research, right? Not just, uh, the ivory tower um, type of research but practitioner oriented research that's oh, yeah. very applied that will allow leaders to better understand what they're doing well what perhaps they need to work on and how that's really translating over to how their people are feeling supported empowered uh, and have the opportunity to be the,
1: their best selves in the workplace mm-hmm. no well well so there's a big movement um, to try to get academia to stop publishing these, it's publisher or perish. You and I are both are in academia. We understand the way academia works. You do these studies that are meaningful and you publish them in, in journals and the only people who ever read them are grad students and maybe some of your colleagues. And so there's this push to get the information out into the trade publications and I've been trying to do that as well. Is because there's been a lot of stuff that's been discovered, but it's hiding in these journals. And then if you have to have a subscription to these journals, it's like, well, who the hell is going to read these things? And the way we write in academia, it needs to be translated for trade and industry where it's actually something that's enjoyable and meaningful. So, yeah, I agree with you. These studies can't just be done and published in these in these journals. And we have to ask, are we really getting our money out of academia when that's all that we're doing? I get the whole medical studies there, but we need to make sure that our work as academics is getting to the to where the rubber meets the road. Yeah, great.
0: Well, then that was a little bit of a side tangent, but but oh but, yeah, yeah, but relevant, to, but
1: relevant, very, yeah,
0: yeah. So let's let's come back to the organizational leadership assessment instrument uh, and Dr. Jim Law, um, the his servant leadership attribute of developing people. Um, that refers to pri- uh, providing opportunities for learning and growth, modeling appropriate behavior, building up others through encouragement and affirmation. Um, it's all about that support. It's all about kind of having a, a growth mindset, a coaching mindset, uh, where where you see yourself as a leader, you, you you see your role as trying to lift everyone around you. Right. Right. So where do you feel like uh, organizations are coming up short when it comes to developing people
1: generally, but also specifically as it relates to servant leadership? So for some of them, and there's all different areas, and there's some organizations that do a great job at this too, by the way. Like there are some definitely modeled organizations that do a great job at um, employee growth and, and the development of people. But one of the things is, is we, hire, we hire an individual in for a very specific job and they're going to do this very specific job. And we don't think about the future. We don't think about that word that I love, succession. We need, we need to think about what, what is the future for these people and we want them to stay with our organization. We want to mold them. We want to train them. Um, but one of the first things in like an economic downturn and what companies are facing right now that they cut is employee development. So they cut money to send people to conferences and to training programs and all. So people just stagnate. So they, they come out. They Then another thing that a lot of organizations cut, is especially public organizations, is they cut um, educational benefits. So they give you some type of a stipend to go to school to improve your education. So you hire people in with, let's say, an undergraduate degree. Um, normally there there might be some type of development where they can go on to get their graduate degree. So if you own, let's say a a financial company and you want to bring, you want to bring people in younger people to get um, just fresh ideas. Some of those companies have employee benefits where they can go on and get their master's degree. And even, even some companies like Starbucks, they um, they negotiated a deal several years ago. And this is one of the, best I've ever seen with Arizona State University. So if you are an employee of Starbucks, you can literally go to a, a very highly regarded R1 research institution and get your education there, and it's going to be paid for by your company. So it's definitely those opportunities. Um, but the other thing is organizations have to see that this investment in the developing of people benefits them as an organization because if you think about bringing somebody on from the outside and let's say it's into a middle management position realistically and depending on your operation but realistically it's going to take that individual at least a year to get solid footing and an understanding of your operations of your policies your procedures your guidelines and all of these kind of things they 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 have to learn to navigate the waters all right So when you have that succession mindset, that developing people mindset to get them to those next levels, and we're not even talking management and leadership either. We're talking about maybe it's somebody who's really creative, a young person that you brought in that's like, they would be a hell of an engineer. They would be a fantastic engineer that you have a way to develop these people and pathways for them to grow into those positions, because if not, you're going to lose them they're going to go away or they're going to stagnate. So there's all of these different areas uh, of focus. There's all these different ways of going at it. Uh, But that's kind of my, I don't know, my 36,000 foot view of, of developed people and why it matters.
0: Yeah, uh, that's a great overview. Um, And like you said, there are some really great examples of companies that do this quite well. Unfortunately, there's also many companies that don't do it quite so well. And it is, you're absolutely right. It's really one of the first things to get sliced when we're in a time of crisis, in a time of budget constraints, um, you know, a global pandemic, putting the strain on, on, on finances of organizations. One of the very first things that they look to is um, how to trim back on their investment in their people. Um, which I always, I I get it to a certain extent, but I, because it is seen as kind of discretionary, uh, it's optional um, in the minds of executives, but it it is also a little bit Um, short-sighted. When I think of the human capital perspective as it relates to other forms of capital within a business, I mean, think about you, you have, so anyone who's taken econ 101, you talk about property, plant, equipment. You talk about financial capital. You talk about intellectual property. You have all these different forms of assets and capital at the discretion of leadership in an organization to move forward the purpose of the organization and to provide the products and services and value to the shareholders, etc. Companies put a lot of time and energy in investing in, uh, maintaining uh, and upgrading other forms of capital. So for example, years and years ago, in another lifetime, I worked in a factory um, when I was saving up money for college. Um, I I worked, uh, one of the jobs I had in the factory was working on one of those giant big press machines. I don't know if listeners have ever been in a factory to really get a picture of what I'm talking about, but these big machines, you know, might be 20, 30 feet tall, 20 feet wide, this giant piece of machinery. And one of the jobs I had was, Uh, there would be a a pallet of sheet metal that would be delivered to me on a forklift. And then I would take a sheet of metal and I'd put it up on top of this big press machine. uh, And then I'd press a button and then this machine would come down and like clamp it and shape it and create this form, which I would then take off and I put on another pallet and then it would get inspected for quality and blah, blah, blah. Um, Those machines were super expensive and they were essential. If those machines weren't working right, if they weren't calibrated right, if there was even the slightest defect, then you would have um, waste and and all sorts of of costs associated with that. So you better believe the company spent a lot of time and energy and money monitoring the quality of the stuff that came out of the machine, but also um, maintaining it, servicing it, getting upgrades when appropriate, et cetera. if, if a company is so tuned in to the importance, the necessity of investing in and in, in valuing other forms of capital, it, it does blow my mind a little bit when, when they forget the essential ne- and necessary element of the human capital that they also have in their organization. Because the human capital is also super expensive, uh, particularly at higher levels in the organization. The cost uh, of one bad employee Uh, and the cost to replace an employee, these these are tremendous expenses to organizations. Um, Yet, when we're in a time of financial trouble, it's usually one of the very first things that is going to be cut. They're not going to cut maintenance on the machinery, uh, but they will cut the investment in the people and and helping develop the people. So I I just throw that out there, something to noodle on for for leaders. Uh, I get the the financial pressures, and I, I get why some... Elements can be seen as um, you know necessary versus optional uh, i I just don't think it's as optional as as a lot of leaders often make it out to be uh, another thought I had and and interrupt me Eric if I've shared this with you previously um, I don't think I have, but years ago when I was um working in South Korea, I learned a lot of proverbs, and one of the the proverbs based on confucius and and Buddhist, um teachings was this idea of bluer than indigo. Uh, have I shared that with you before? You have, but go ahead. I actually really like this. If our listeners haven't heard it, they need to. Um, so so I'll, I'll be brief since I have shared it previously, but bluer than indigo, that the basic idea is that, and, and remember in Eastern cultures, uh, there's a lot of value and respect for your elders, for your teachers. Okay. so So they're revered, they're looked up to. The idea of Bluer Than Indigo is if I'm truly a great teacher, I'm going to be focused not on my own success, but I'm going to be uh, focused on the success of those around me, those people that I'm teaching, those people that I'm training, those people that I'm leading. So if I'm a great teacher, that is manifest through the greatness of those around me and the fact that I actually help them surpass my own greatness, right? Right. So I help them become bluer than indigo. Indigo is the bluest of blues, vibrant blue. I'm that vibrant blue. I want to help them become even bluer than I am, right? Or surpass my own expertise, my own contributions to the world. That's that's what servant leadership is about. And that's what developing your people is about. But that can only happen if and when uh, we get outside of ourselves. We're not focused on our own um, reputation, our own ego, uh, our own career um, trajectory, but we're truly focused on those around us. And then that's when really great, amazing things can happen.
1: I like it. So if we look everything that um, the foundational servant leadership writings and research, everything goes back to those three pragmatic questions. Do your people grow? They're more likely to become servants themselves, and then what happens to the most vulnerable amongst us? And so, developing people hits all three of those things. Um, I always had a feeling, even though there was times, like I said, and I've said this in talks before, I wasn't the best leader. I wasn't um, looking back, and there were times that I was really good at what I did, and one of the things I always prided myself on and maybe pride is the fastest way to get to hell, but it was that my people were better than I was. I would always strive to, to make my crew that, that was with me, my team. I wanted each and every one of them eventually to just take my position. Like that's the whole goal is either I move on, I retire, which I did, but I wanted them to be able to step into my position. And I had the opportunity to work with and uh, supervise groups where every single one of those individuals at one point were capable of taking my position. And they were very, very good at what they did. And they're all officers and chief officers today. And there's, I get a lot of satisfaction in that, of, of developing people. It, it also allows you, the more you can develop your people and the better your people are, the faster you can turn that leadership off, off switch. You know, you can turn that switch to off and and you don't have to do that direct management over people. You don't have to constantly supervise and overlook because you just know that they've, they've grown and you've helped develop them into, well, you, you know, or better than you better than bluer, bluer than blue kind of a thing. And it benefits you as, as a leader to have your people that way. If your people have to constantly ask you questions, if your people are stagnated, if your people are not growing, your job is harder as a leader. And the thing is, is your money as a leader doesn't change. So what do you want to do? You want to answer your phone at three in the morning constantly and be woken up? Or do you want to know that you've got a team of people who can take care of it? Now, that doesn't, that doesn't mean if you have a massive situation, a massive incident, you as a leader are responsible to be there. But the day-to-day mundane of an organization should be able to run without you even being there. You should be a steward of that organization at some point where you're going out you get to now relate into the community at large. Go get those new contracts. Go smooth money. That needs to be your job. But the only way that you can do that and not be popping, I don't know, thirteen tons a day because your ulcers are flaring up is as you develop your people. Because when when your people grow and they and they've been developed, they they can now model you. So what does Greenleaf say? Can you do? They themselves become servant leaders. And then what does Lobs Attributes say about developed people? It, it, it asks straight up, are, do, those people, do those individuals, do they have behavior that can be modeled, i.e. your behavior? So all of that comes in to make you more money and free time. And like you used the key word, um, in a, I just had that paper come out on green soup leadership. The problem with servant leadership in organizations is always ego it's always ego. Oh, I'm going to spend this time and this money to develop these individuals for what? For what? And it's like, so you can benefit. So you can make a lot more money. So you can have a lot more free time. That's what happens. You, I always like to bring this back to the rational selfishness of the leader, is you benefit by developing your people. Because when they themselves get built up, and they themselves can be empowered and delegated to, you're free to go do the things that you want to go do. You can even start a second business if you want. It's up to you. You know? Yeah. And it's, it's not just about selfishness. though. it's, it's, it's
0: more complex than that. If we're thinking about ego, right. And we could go down a rabbit hole talking about, Oh, we can go way deep uh, all about ego. But, but when I think of, I mean, what you were describing is absolutely correct. If If there's a certain amount of self-interest, that's it's, it benefits everybody um, when we tap into it um, because then I realize, you know, that, that I look better. I, am, my team is more productive. When I let go of control, I empower people, I delegate more um, and I support them and I lift them up. Um, that helps them. That helps me. That helps everybody. Right. And so that, that's, a, that's different than me just walking around being a, a complete jerk, um, trying to stroke, get everyone to stroke my ego all the time. Um, these are different types of ego or self-interest that we're that we're talking about. I think. Um, when, well, let's let's get back to these these principles as they relate to uh, Doctor Lobs' um, work around developing people. Um, three specific elements, and maybe we can take each in turn. Um, first, providing opportunities for learning and growth. Second modeling appropriate behavior, and third, building up others through encouragement and affirmation. Um, So let's start with the first one, providing opportunities for learning and growth. What, What do you see as the biggest opportunity here for organizations, even during an economic downturn when budgets are tight and maybe companies may be inclined to cut budgets towards training programs and such? What are some creative ways that organizations can still um, provide opportunities for meaningful learning and growth of their people.
1: Well, one of them, which is the least expensive is, um, mentoring and job shadowing that, that is probably the easiest and most bang for your buck. That you can get with your employees, instead of that, but it needs to be a culture of mentoring. Not oh, this is Jack and he's your mentor. There needs to be more than that. Then there also employees need to be a your people need to be able to see and flock towards individuals that they themselves would love to one day become. Yeah, and if I can, if I can add to that,
0: also um, I think the mentoring's really important. And I completely agree. I mean, there can be structured mentoring programs, but you mm-hmm. can also create a culture of mentoring and coaching where everyone just feels it's their responsibility to mentor and coach everyone around them. Right. Yeah. And then everyone's supporting each other. And that's, that's wonderful. Um, but, but you know, things like job shadowing are also great in that way, but something as simple as job rotations, moving people around. So they are different parts of, of the organization doing different tasks, there's so much research that shows that that drives up employee satisfaction, employee engagement. Uh, it, it drives up the learning that happens because they're, they're being cross-trained, cross-functionally. Um, they get exposure to new people. So there's more mentoring opportunities because now they, they, they know more people around the business. And it's a huge benefit to the organization because now they have more people to help out in different areas if someone goes on maternity leave or they get sick or you know, whatever. Uh, someone leaves and they, they haven't been able to replace them yet. So, I mean, it's, 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 it doesn't really cost anything. Um, and it's a huge benefit to both employees and the employer. So why, why wouldn't an organization do mentoring or job
1: shadowing or rotations if it's that simple? Because we've always done it this way. That's the answer. That's always the answer of, whenever i ask whenever i ask an, an organization i'm working with i'm like why why don't why wouldn't you guys maybe implement something like this and they're like well because we've always done it this way like, oh that's that's good that's that's the easy answer cuz it's the easy way out but the the cool thing is so The military understands this, and nobody understands this better than the Marine Corps. That's why every single person in the U.S. Marine Corps, regardless of their MOS, so regardless of their job and what they do, they're all riflemen, every single one of them. They're all trained in basic infantry, every single one of them. So they might go on and become... I don't know, services, mortuary services, KP, whatever it is, or oh, they might become a tanker or they might go on and become a Raider or an MSOC Marine and go special forces route. But they're all that basic. They can all step into that. They all have that, that understanding. So if this piece gets moved, another piece can move right in. And like you said, for things like maternity leave, um, FEMWA, for, you know, the individual themselves gets sick or injured or in a car accident or something like that. It's not, well, Jan didn't show up to work today, so therefore everything stops. It's no, everybody shares in these responsibilities because they've all been trained in it and we can move these pieces around. Um, Another thing that happens in organizations is job protection is people become afraid that if other people learn to do their job, then they're out. And you know what, that fear is legitimate for a lot of people because there's been a lot of firms that use their people to train um, foreign groups that have come in here and then the next thing you know, their organization's been outsourced and sent overseas. So they, they trained up some people and the next thing you know, it's gone. So it's there is that, that job protection element, that fear element that people have about sharing about sharing um, information, it's like, well, if other people know how to do what I do, well, maybe I'm just not that valuable anymore, and I can be replaced. So you have to have an organization that that definitely pulls down those barriers, because again, those are legitimate fears that people have, and that's well, a, that's another issue. Yeah, it, well,
0: it's, it, it's that frustrates me. It, you're absolutely true, but it. It just is evidence that the company doesn't actually value their people, um, and they have no loyalty to their people. Uh, I mean, which is not, which is kind of the opposite of what we're talking about. You invest in your people, um, you help develop your people, so that you can show them your commitment to them and engender commitment back towards the organization, and it lifts, you know, it lifts everybody. Uh, <laughs> so. If that's what we're going for, doing what you just described, which is not uncommon, um, completely undermines and erodes your your efforts to to really develop your people. Um, so that does frustrate me when I hear about organizations doing that, and it is a legitimate concern of employees if they've seen evidence of that happening. so then I mean wh- whether it's perceived perceived by the employee as being that way and being dangerous or the company's actually done something to demonstrate that yes it is dangerous for you. If, if other people are are good at what you do, um, either way, the result is now you have employees that they intentionally silo information. They intentionally try to put up barriers. So they're the experts. So everyone has to come to them. And that is incredibly problematic, uh, for a whole range of reasons, uh, for a healthy successful organization to be able to thrive. Because inevitably you end up having these, these people become, become these arbitrary gatekeepers that that with all this control and power beyond what maybe their job title even is or their role in the organization, because everything has to funnel through them and and things get clogged up and slowed down, let alone, you know, nobody's there to do their job if they leave. I, I once uh, years ago, this was maybe even a decade ago. Yeah, it was about a decade ago. So it was it was after the uh the financial collapse um, <clears throat> uh, back in two thousand and eight and the recession that followed and I had a, a student in one of my classes at the university uh, we were talking about uh, succession planning and uh, uh, early retirement and preparing people to take over roles and such and she was she was sharing uh, the story of her father who was a senior engineer at Boeing uh, he'd been there for like 30 years and he made a ton of money. Um, he, he was very expert in what he did. Um, there re- really wasn't anyone else that could do what he did. He made a ton of money, but because of the recession, they uh, Boeing rolled out uh, early retirement plan, you know, with, uh, so, so if, if you take this early retirement, we're going to give you a severance package and then they can clear off, you know, all of those high salaries off the books. That's, that was the point, right? So so he took he was close to retirement anyway so he took the early retirement cashed out his severance um and left and started retirement. Well, lo and behold, within a year of him leaving, Boeing churned through like three or four different people in that position, none of whom could do the position because nobody had his his uh, institutional knowledge, his technical expertise, no one was able to do it uh because he was the sole expert that could do that job at Boeing. Uh, and and they tried hiring these these uh, Ivy League, you know, uh, really well-trained younger people that they could pay less money uh, and then train up. And it was just really hard. So that what they ended up doing is hiring back my student's father as an external consultant. So now they had a person in the position full-time that they were paying a salary, plus they were paying my student's father about one and a half times his normal salary when he was in the position himself to come and be on the job. And he did that for like two years. So he got his severance, he got his like one and a half times external consultant fee and Boeing had to pay another person the salary. I mean, how stupid. And, and it's not like Boeing is, is, is a stupid company. They're, they're a very mature, um, large global company but they fell into the same trap that so many people fall into. They didn't have people, they didn't have succession planning. They didn't have people who had been developed over time. My student's father made out like a bandit. Um, Boeing probably ended up spending five times more than what they would have spent just to keep him on the job uh, in the first place. Uh, and, And ultimately they had to bring him back so he could train people and get people ready to do the job. That, we see that replicated over and over and over again in organizations that aren't thinking about developing your people. They're not thinking about succession planning. Uh, and the, and the, I hear this constant concern about, well, if we train them, they're just going to turn around and leave.
1: Oh so, yeah. That's a good one.
0: Um, maybe, maybe they will, but if you don't train them, I guarantee you they're going to leave.
1: Oh yeah. They're <laughs> gone. They're going
0: to go somewhere else. They're going to go to yeah. your competitor. Um, yeah. so I mean, I get it. I get we're, we're not, things have changed in the world and we're not in this situation where people go work for a company for their entire career. People shift jobs. They shift jobs relatively rapidly nowadays. Um, But that doesn't mean the benefits of investing in your people are any less than they were before. Um, In some ways it's way more vital now than it was before because of the hyper-competitive labor market and being able to attract and retain good people. So,
1: Yeah and there's a lot of organizations that do it right and they don't have to worry about losing a person. When you talk about retention, one of the biggest costs that organizations face is retention, you know? So what does it cost you to bring a new person on to get them spun up? Like, where is that cost? But going back to the this, this student's father, the problem with organizations is, is they start looking at individuals as processes. So it's like, okay, if I move this piece here, this piece costs here and this piece goes, but they never be, but they've outsourced humanity. You know what I'm saying? It's usually people within a human resources department that has no idea. They're just looking at numbers and I'm not blaming them either. They've kind of been set up to fail in all of this too. They're just looking at numbers. So if all you're looking at, if you're looking at somebody that's going, okay, we have an engineer here that's making $210,000 a year. This individual has been with the company for X amount of time. We could, in, we could move this individual out, bring in a new graduate at about $105,000 a year, and it's going to cost us this to pay them out, and we clear the books of this salary. Okay, that's cute, and it works on paper. It always does. Everything always works on paper. But what you just did was is you just flush all of that experience and talent out the door because you didn't value it. So what do you put the value on? You know, I think about it like an automobile. When somebody says to me, well, a Kazakata gets you to point A and point B. Okay, that's cute. Yeah, that works. I'll take that argument. Until you drive a Bentley, It, you know, if you've ever been in a Bentley, it blows you away. It, you, a, a Toyota Prius will never be a Bentley, but yet they're both automobiles. And so that that's what you're paying for that senior engineer and let's face it there is age discrimination in organizations like we 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 look at a lot of different discrimination and age organization age discrimination is huge in organization there's a reason that individual is paid the money that they are and you better hope to re- retain them because other companies i think about like Lockheed Martin, Airbus, Northrop Grumman, they would love to have an individual with that kind of experience that they could throw consulting work. 1099 the individual, you don't have to pay him benefits, you know, but they're going to get all of your talent, all of your experience. The companies that get this, the whole developing of people, I always go back to tech because I just think I just think a lot of tech understands Maslow's hierarchy of needs and they develop people They help their people develop, they give them lots of opportunities, and they also take care of the ancillary crap that you have to deal with on a day-to-day basis. It's just being a human being and they take care of those things too. But I don't I don't blame the human resources that make those decisions because they're just looking at numbers. I blame the organizational culture itself that doesn't value talent and how much talent you're gonna lose. Because if you see a young person that's come into your organization, let's say the mail room. Um, let's say they're running, they're running deliveries, and and he and she, he or she is just, they're just hungry. They're a go getter. Maybe they're a kid that's a first gen. Maybe they're a kid that would be, you know, that, their their family just never never had these opportunities. But you can see it in them. Well, what do you think you're going to get if you develop this individual? You get them educated and spun up. You think they're going to leave or They're going to be loyal? Because that's the thing about working class people. I grew up. I grew up in a in a working class family, and I, I don't, all of my family stayed with the organizations that they worked for their whole lives, you know, after they served in the military, they hired on with, say, a factory or a fire department or a police department or a hospital or something like this, and they stayed with the, they stayed with those organizations loyal their whole entire life. This is a new thing, this, this whole thing of, well, if we develop them, they're going to leave. No. No, it's more about the culture of people jumping ship and balancing your books on the backs of human beings. Yeah. It, it's a, it, this is a new culture. This is a new way to be.
0: Yeah. You know. Well, and and you said something that I think leads into the next point, uh, modeling appropriate behavior, because it is, it is so much of this is built on the culture of the organization that derives from the modeling of, of the business, uh, of, of the leaders. I, I mean, there's processes, policies, procedures that certainly influence culture, or they certainly influence how these types of things get handled within an organization. But we all know that if a leader pays attention to something, that's what the employees put their focus on. And if a leader does something, that's what the employees put their focus on, regardless of what policy says, right? Yes. Um, and so modeling is so vital. It's so important. And if you have senior leadership, C-suite executives, um, who, who not only say the right things, but they, they actually, they display these behaviors and they, to, they show to their employees that these are the types of things we want to see you doing. And they, they reinforce that over and over again, then it will, it will emerge. Even if you have a bunch of kind of uberly self-interested, ego-driven people at lower levels, they will still do it because they will see that as their path to getting forward. (laughs) They won't be able to to get ahead in the company unless they follow the model of the leaders that they are um, working under. So, I mean, I, I always hope and wish that people would do things for more intrinsically motivated reasons, but ultimately doing good is doing good. And if, if people are doing good behaviors, they're doing good behaviors and they're helping people and they're strengthening people, they're lifting people. And then I don't actually really care what's going on in their head as long as they're doing good things. Um, so, so modeling, modeling is so, so important. Um, the last one before we finish off today, uh, building up others through encouragement and affirmation, how can organizational leaders do encouragement and affirmation in a way that seems sincere and not hokey, um,
1: not fluffy. Well, so in one of my books, I have a thing that's called the $5 gift card, you know, it's like, don't, don't send me a $5 gift card that in an organization, that's like the, the worst. And then if you're given an award every month and bringing somebody up on stage, and it's the new person every month that's coming across the stage. Those, those are very uh, disingenuous actions as far, as far as I'm concerned. And I can go into detail about my own experience with this in the military. One of the biggest things that you can do for somebody is you can just give them a compliment. A real, honest, not all the time not constantly praise. If you're one of those managers that's constantly telling your people that they're awesome, then that's just some pre-recorded line that you have going into the message. I'm talking about you you physically go down and find somebody that did something awesome and you thank the hell out of them. And if you want to do something for them, money, <laughs> maybe a couple of extra days of vacation, be like, "You know what? Here's an award we had that we had that in the, the DoD. You're allowed to get a time off award for doing something great, and it comes with a shift that's off. But they're not given out constantly. They're rare, and they're for somebody going above and beyond. Another thing is don't praise people for doing what they're expected to do. If one of the reasons that compliments and affirmations and appreciation. One of the reasons that those things fall flat and, and, and followers just see through them is you're just giving them compliments for doing the thing that, they, that they're being paid to do. They're like, yeah, I'm a professional. I came to work. You know, this is, what I, this, is what you're being, this is what you're paying me for. Save it for when they go above and beyond. Maybe they come up with a different process of doing things. Like I think of that machine that you talked about. Maybe you're in there at two in the morning because your phone rang and, and you're helping the, the the machinist in there troubleshoot this thing and you're not on the books and you're not getting paid for it. If, if the individual that owned that plant came to you a couple of days later and was like, um, I'm very impressed with what you did. I'm absolutely grateful um, for you coming in here. It meant a lot that's going to go a long way it just will because that is a that's a that's a, an individual taking a time out of their busy day and meet leaders and managers are busy as hell and they have the weight of the world on their shoulders and for them to just take a, <clears throat> just a small amount of time to do something like that that goes a long way with people because it, it's genuine it it's not yeah it's genuine yeah yeah, I, I think uh, being
0: sincere, being genuine is really key. Um, as we wrap this up today, uh, just to, to reiterate, so uh, it's so vital to create a culture of people development where everyone feels responsible to coach and mentor each other, where everyone feels responsible to help each other and lift each other, and that's modeled by, by, um, by senior leaders. We talked about three specific um, elements, the providing opportunities for learning and growth, that modeling by that modeling of appropriate behavior and building up others through encouragement and affirmation. Uh, and as organizations do this more, you're going to get uh, people in your organization, even if maybe their heart is in the in the right place or whatever, however we want to define that. Um, initially, as people start to live and work this way and perform and have these types of behaviors what i've seen is that people very quickly come their their mindset comes along with it right so even if initially they kind of begrudgingly do the behaviors because they think that's what they have to do they they start to see the the efficacy of it they start to see the value of it and then they will carry that forward when they're in leadership positions in the future as well well eric it has been a pleasure talking with you again today about. developing people as it relates to servant leadership. Um, I encourage listeners to go back and listen to all the episodes in this series scattered throughout the, um, through all of the other episodes that we've been releasing. Uh, we've been doing this about once a week and I think we're, we're having some really great discussions. Um, Eric, I hope you have a great uh, week. Uh, anything you want to say
1: as parting words? No, I think I think this is a topic that we could probably spend even more time on. We could, we'll probably do more talks on developing people. Um, in the end, it's one of the best things to teach uh, leaders because they benefit, and the organization benefits as your as your people are developing. Absolutely, absolutely.
0: Well, thanks, listeners, for being here. Thanks, uh, Dr. Russell, for joining me. And I hope everyone stays healthy and safe. Have a great week. See ya.